Runs, 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 and ultimately a draw opened the Sheffield Shield season between South Australia and Tasmania, while fixture uncertainty remains beyond Tuesday's meeting between Queensland and Tasmania. My name's Willem van Denderen. This is Shield Informed. Fantastic to have you along for company. Brody Hoyne out in Gisborne, regional Victoria, mate. It felt very much like more of the same over the weekend. Uh, century for Sean Marsh, century for Cameron Green, century for Travis Head. Uh and I suppose it's no surprise when you consider that this was actually the shortest off-season in Sheffield Shield history, 159 days. And quite significantly, the next uh, long shortest has been 195. Uh, it felt a little bit like uh, deja vu. Mate, I, it's, it's 2020 all over again. Nothing has changed. The, way, the more things change, the more they stay the same. South Australia have come in with all these new players that they think are going to revamp and rejuvenate their side and it was a taste of what we already know and geez the Karen Rolton Oval is beginning to become the biggest road in the Sheffield Shield if you ask me isn't it from the first ball it was baked grey and didn't deteriorate one iota as we went along I want to throw quickly to you Brody. what did you make of Nathan McAndrew swanning into the South Australian lineup and picking a digit zero instead of a number Oh, <laughs> I did notice that. I forgot. I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, going with the number zero. Uh, interesting. He reckons he's Jason Tatum or something like that. But uh, no, nah, fair enough. Go go nuts, mate. It's um, something a bit different. We haven't seen it before. But um, I, I think he, he's, got a, he's got big shoes to fill if he's following in those sort of footsteps, mate. All right, mate, you catch your breath for a second. Just put your feet up because we're not the only two on the podcast this week. If you've uh, been keeping an eye across the Shield Informed socials, you'd be across our news. But if not, we're very pleased to announce that we are once again a trio. Donna Siromani, you've uh, joined the team from Maroubra, New South Wales. Welcome. How are you going? So good. I'm really happy to be here. Excited to talk about all things Shield and all things cricket in general. Super excited. What is your what is your background in cricket? You've uh, you've said you're a long time listener. You were you were keen to get involved. Where did it all start for you? Yeah, for me, it was just at home in the living room watching cricket growing up. You know, it's just you know loved just watching all of the international games. But I also just have special place in my heart for domestic cricket and Shield cricket. And yes, I've been a long time listener of Shield Informed, and I just thought, hey, might click you guys a message and see if I could join. So I'm really yeah, excited. Just never know what happens. And it's a uh, it's a pertinent week to have you on because let's be honest, the Shield kicked into gear and it was bloody dull. But the women's ODIs and the, the Australia-India women's series as a whole has uh, has started with an absolute bang. Two brilliant one-day internationals. Uh, India almost got the job done in the second, did get the job done in the, in the third, ending Australia's world record streak. Very excited to... Uh, well, very excited that we've got the test match coming up this week and we'll uh, we'll discuss that a little bit later in depth, guys. But if you'd like, I reckon we just plough straight into it and review South Australia versus uh, Western Australia. Brody, your, uh, your initial thoughts uh, following the two sides shaking hands at uh, Tee on Day 4. Yeah, the more things change, the more they stay the same, as I said at the start of the show. Look, I thought South Australia with a few new wins, uh, you know, Jake Carter and Nathan McAndrew could make a little bit of a difference. Uh, Jake Carter obviously had a great game um, and looks to have cemented his spot in the number three position for um, South Australia at the moment. They did have a little bit of trouble with that last year, we know, but um, that was good to see. But apart from that, mate, yeah, the Karen Rolton Oval, it was a, it was a road again and and it's started to be a bit of an issue when we have to play these sort of games at these smaller ovals and 
and the new cricketers of tomorrow are going to be playing on these massive grounds around Australia rather than these little, you know, these little roads. Karen Rolton, um, Ian Healy's another one in Queensland, and of course, um, our favourite out in St Kilda, Willem. So yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting couple of uh, matches to come that won't be played at some pretty big stadiums. Let's roll it back to the start of day one and go through it blow by blow. WA won the toss. They handed a uh, a debut to Corey Riccioli, the uh, the right arm off spinner who we've been uh, hoping to see for a little while. And Donna, they elected to bat. And South Australia from the off looked uh, a little bit toothless, you'd have to say, which has been a recent theme over previous seasons. And on the first day, tons for Sean Marsh. That was his 20th first-class century. Cam Green is fast catching him. That was his seventh. And uh, stumps on day one, WA were four for 324. And at this stage, it looked really hard for South Australia to win even uh, one day in. Totally. I think, I mean, going into this match, you definitely put WA on top and that's exactly what day one looks like for them. Um, they had, like you said, two tons, Sean Marsh and Cameron Green. It was good to see the experience and the youth coming together to really build a solid innings for them. Um, Corey Rikikioli, um, as a debutante, did a little bit with the ball for them. But yeah, definitely day one at the end with stumps. You definitely thought WA was on top going into day two. And there were lower order runs, or not lower order, but middle order runs to come from WA as well. Uh, Josh Inglis, 77, and uh, Josh Philippi, uh, 70, uh, 28, halfway through day two, to get to nine for 465 declared. Uh, Philippi took a particular liking of uh, of Sam Kerber. If we just have a look at a few of the bowlers, McAndrew on debut for his new state, three for 71 off 31 overs. Donna, what was going on with the spinners? They picked Lloyd Pope, the young leg spinner, and he took eventually took four for 92 off his 15.2. But interestingly, Travis Head, as the skipper, uh, saw himself as first choice, clearly didn't trust Pope throughout this match, uh, bowled 18 overs himself in the first innings and a, and a fair few in the second too. Yeah, there was a lot of conversation, particularly in commentary, about Travis Head putting himself in uh, as a bowler. But, you know, it was quite a flat pitch. And when you've got a flat pitch, it usually does favour the spinners because you the batters start to think, OK, I'm going to hit one up in the air. And that's what happened for Lloyd Pope in the end, you know, four for 92. Um, and Nathan McAndrew really did come in with that um, breakthrough. Breaking that 199 run partnership between Cameron Green and Sean Marsh. Couple of uh, couple of big big partnerships throughout one. So yeah, uh, close of the first innings, four hundred and sixty five uh, WA made halfway through the second day, and they instantly got the breakthrough as well. Brody Jake Weatherald LBW to uh, Joel Paris, but it was Jake Carter against his old side, a man who they've uh, drafted into bat number three and provides some uh, stability. He stabilised with Henry Hunt. Firstly, they put on fifty eight runs, and then with uh, Travis Head across uh, days two and into day three. Uh, Carter and Head put on 131 stumps on day two. South Australia in relative safety, two for 164. And they are uh, situ- situations and scenarios in the past where they might have gone and lost five or six and uh, been in the grips of a loss. Yeah, 100%. I think Henry Hunt, Henry Hunt I'll say that again, Henry Hunt, uh, picked up where he left off. He's a bit of a wall, much like Bryce Street, as you mentioned in the last episode. I think uh, he's definitely found his niche in the long-form cricket, 36 of 101. It's a pretty decent, uh, pretty decent bat, which they needed at the time. Really helped Jake Carter in that sense as well, uh, who was brilliant, I thought. Um, and just as I said to you before, that that third position for South Australia has really been an issue of late. And uh, I think Jake Carter did really well. Obviously, it's been one game, but I think uh, yeah, they found that they found someone to take that spot. Uh, shame about Jake Weatherold. Um, we he started last season so well. Um, 
it, I know it's one game again, but, uh, you know, you really want to see the good players play well. Jake Weatherall is definitely one of them for South Australia. But uh, Travis Head, there's a bit of uh, umming and ahhing about whether or not he'll play for Australia. He's certainly in my side for the first Ashes test, and I think uh, this, this is exactly why he does this so often. He did it last year as well, just continued to make piled on runs in domestic cricket. There's nothing you can do. But that, if you're going to get selected for Australia, and I think Travis Head's put himself in line again to get picked. Donna, how much currency do you give this Travis Head innings? Uh, in yeah. a lot of ways, it feels to me like we're actually still a long way away and there's plenty of time to to dip in and out of form before the first test. So I actually don't think that rubber stamps him. If we were a month out from the first test, maybe, but we're still two months away. Look, I have to agree, Willem. Sorry, Brody. Um, I just think because, I mean, if you take sort of like a macro look at it, we got a lot of centurions. I know he's a century and a half, 163 or 215. But I think at this stage, like early doors, I'm not sure if we can say that that's consistent just yet. But look, yeah, he's definitely put his name forward and he's definitely one to watch. But yeah, like I said, there's a lot of um, other potential picks as well. Yeah, it's a bit of that old... Batsman's paradise. I mean, he made run, but so did, he made runs, but so did the competition. So, what were they really worth? A little bit hard to judge. Uh, across the course of the third day, WA did work South Australia to a point where they could maybe push for a win. They had them nine for four hundred and eighteen late on day three. That, of course, still meant that they were in arrears, and there was plenty of time in the game if uh, if WA could close out the uh, South Australian innings. Morris had a three-far. Cam Green took a wicket. Both Those two young fellows both struggled with the front foot a little bit. Uh, Travis Head, uh, yeah, by this point on 163. Uh, but it was Nathan McAndrew with the bat who made his biggest contribution here because he went absolutely bananas, 65 off 80. Uh, took any thought of a, a Western Australian lead uh, out of their minds and got them to 492. And by this point, the game was as good as over, but McAndrew had certainly made his mark in getting them to safety. 100%. And uh, I think it's sort of they, they needed that at the time. I mean, Lehman and Kerber both failed to make make runs on what was a bit of a batsman's paradise. And then they really needed McAndrew to sort of step up and help out Travis Head in that regard. So McAndrew did exactly what he needed to do. And I thought he it was a very nice first outing for South Australia for Nathan McAndrew. Uh, 21 overs, uh, WA batted at the end of day three. They reached at one for 76 with Sam Whiteman on 35. The pitch showing no signs of deterioration. So by this point, you could just about bank on the fact that it was going to be a draw. Uh, on day four, WA did lose uh, Whiteman and Green inside two balls. Uh, Lloyd yeah. Pope involved in that. Just a little bit of excitement there. Was there was there uh, any chance of uh, of a result at that point, Donna? I thought so. I definitely thought so. I think a lot of people um, thought so. I think um, losing those early wickets was definitely a potential for a result. However, they kind of slowed down, you know, towards the middle, and then you know, uh, the sentry from um, Hilton Cartwright. Hilton Cartwright, yep. Totally just changed the game. Um, and really forced that draw for WA. If it weren't for that, perhaps. Did you see Lloyd Pope's sack that caught Sean Marsh out? One of the worst balls of the of the game. And Sean Marsh mm. has just slapped it straight to Jake Lehman. It was a genuine sack. There were a couple. There were a couple like that from Lloyd. Uh, he seems to be uh, losing control as he goes along. It's yeah. uh, it's an interesting juncture for him. Uh, yeah, Cartwright ended 121 not out. And Brody, I know you're not his biggest fan. If he's making his uh, sixth first-class ton uh, late on day four, uh, the wicket clearly wasn't doing a lot. Yeah. So Lloyd Pope finished with three for 123. Head again, bowled himself for 19 overs uh, and hands were shaken at T. So a bit of a bore draw uh, to kick off the Sheffield Shield season. Smoked one onto Port Road too, Hilton Cartwright. As I said in the last episode, man can hit bombs. That's what I like to see him do, not this. But, you know, 
to his credit, he was fantastic. Let's roll on and have a look at Queensland against Tasmania. Queensland have named a 12-man squad. The top five batsmen, as you'd expect, Joe Burns, Bryce Street, Manus Labashain, Usman Kawaja, Matt Renshaw, and Jimmy Pearson will be the keeper. I suppose the only point of contention in the lineup is in the middle order. They've picked the, uh, the all-rounder, James Baisley, who debuted in the final game of last season. They've also picked 20-year-old batsman, Connor Sully. He was involved in Australia's under-19 campaign, so could make his first-class debut if included here, although I suspect... He may be the one to be squeezed out. And then the bowlers, Wildermuth to act as an effective all-rounder. Michael Nisa to do pretty similar. Mark Steckity and Mitch Swepson. So, Brody, I think it's going to be another season on the pine for Billy Stanlake. Is this bloke ever going to play? Not long-form cricket. I don't think so, no. I, I, we just spoke about it last year. And it's just the man can bowl some serious heat in those four-over spells in 2020 cricket. They're all sort of up the high 140 mark. But to do it consistently over a course of a long day, um, is obviously really is a different kind of skill to have, and uh, it might be the fact that Billy doesn't have that in his arsenal as of yet. Now I know that Brody, you and I were glued to the AFL Grand Final across the week, uh, the weekend, and we know that it's big dollars to uh, pay for the advertising slots. What was going on with the ISC Whey Protein ad that features none other than Billy Stanlake, along with? Uh, did, did you catch that along with Dylan Piraeus of Western United, Angela Beard as a W League player, and there was someone else. Now, with all due respect, these aren't A-grade athletes, so they clearly played for the advertising space and not had much left in the kitty. They've gone, Bill Stanlake, you're not bowling, you're not playing for the Bulls. Come and do a whey protein ad. What's going on? Well, he's also not as, you know, for a whey protein kind of product, not exactly the most <laughs> shredded. Brody. Not exactly the most shredded bloke. I mean, the old string bean. He's got a bit of a linguine arm about him, but uh, maybe that's is it. Was he? He should have been the before shot of the wave. The wave team. Is that, is that the idea? Very good, and you would have been the aftershot with any luck. Donna, time to declare your allegiance. You are on the uh, the wrong side of the Barassi line as far as we're concerned. Do you have an Aussie Rules team? And if not, do you have an NRL team, a rugby I union do. team? What's the go? Look, I'll be honest, AFL's not, I'm not fully across that, but NRL will go for the Roosters. <laughs> and why is that? Because of the area in which I live and also my partner's dad works for the Roosters. So we've got, it's all Roosters everywhere for us. <laughs> Fair call. As far as rugby league goes, uh, I had a punt on the storm to win it and they were horrendous against uh, Penrith on Saturday. Even my unattuned rugby league brain could see that they were shocking. So uh, that's the end of the rugby league chat on this program for the rest of the year. Moving on to uh, Tasmania. They've picked a squad of 13 and Ali De Winter is going to be their interim coach. Not sure where old Vaughan Dog is. Uh, but the batsmen, Jordan Silk, Caleb Jewell, Charlie Wakeham, McAllister Wright, Tim Ward, and Ben McDermott. The keeper will be Matthew Wade, obviously with Tim Payne absent. Bo Webster and Lawrence Neil Smith are there as well. And then the bowlers, Gabe Bell, Peter Siddle, Sam Rainbird, and Nathan Freeman. Brody, I just want to get your thoughts on these absentees. Tim Payne, Riley Meredith, Jackson Bird, and Jake Doran all injured. That's horrendous luck. And then Nathan Ellis was with Kings Eleven Punjab in the IPL. Geez, that's really not how you want to start a season when you're already up against it uh, to have four big outs like that. I mean, they're all walk-up starts. Payne, Meredith, Burden, Dora. Oh, 100%. Meredith, you may be touch and go in their strongest bowling lineup, but it's not the best start to a season that you get um, when those sort of players of that caliber aren't playing, particularly with some pretty enigmatic injuries like slip dicks and all that. So, um, yeah, a bit unfortunate for Tasmania, but they're plucky in the Apple Isle, mate. I, I'm not going to rule them out just yet. I know Queensland are the reigning champs and it's not their uh, – it's not their their game. Oh, sorry, it's not their 
strongest outfit for Tasmania, but uh, you know, you never you shouldn't rule him out. Is uh, Ian Healy Oval Brisbane in the Apple Isle? No, the people from Tasmania are from the Apple Isle. <laughs> oh, okay. So you said they're, they're from the Apple Isle, not they're playing there. I did say that, yes. Okay, no stress. Uh, any comments on uh, on this match, Donna? What are you going to be looking out for? Yeah, look, I think the Bulls are definitely on top. They've been consistent with their batting especially, not like Tassie, which I feel kind of relies a lot on Matty Wade. Um, and then obviously it could be a blow for them having all those injuries as well. So they're definitely not going into the match on top. And obviously the Bulls having, was it their ninth title? Last yes, year? yes. Nine, ninth and, and ninth since 1994. So, yeah, my money's on um, Queensland for this one. Yeah, I suspect you are. I suspect you are on the money there. That just about wraps up the uh, the Shield chat for this program. Obviously, uh, pretty short, but then again, we've only had the one game, so I think we might move on to uh, what has been the far more entertaining cricket. Uh, I'm sure, in anyone's opinion, and that has been the Australia and India One Day Internationals. Donna, and we'll we'll throw to you to lead uh, the bulk of this chat. Donna, you'd say it was Julian Goswami who sort of. Was at the at the core of the narrative across, particularly the second and and third ODIs. She was somewhat of the villain uh, on Friday night. She bowled the final over, conceded thirteen from it when she just needed to uh, to keep it tight. And the last ball, uh, highly contentious. Uh, it was initially given out, uh, hooked to square leg. But I personally, I mean, it was very divisive. But watching it, I thought it was. I called a no ball. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was well above waist height. Uh, how did you see that one? Yeah, look, it was well above waist height. She was kind of um, crouched a little bit. And so if, I think even if she was like standing up, it still would have been above waist height. But then, you know, there might be other people who say, okay, she's connected the ball with the bat and so it's yep. no ball. I think there's two different camps when it comes to, comes to it and that's why it was so contentious. And, yeah, Julian Goswami, 38 years old, but just definitely like was in amongst it um, in terms of her bowling and then her batting in those second and third ODIs, definitely one to watch. Um, I do agree with India kind of getting themselves into positions they didn't necessarily need to be in. I think they definitely could have reined in uh, the match a lot sooner, particularly in the third ODI, the most recent one. Um, I don't think they need to get it down to the last over like they did. Um, And also in terms of fielding, I think that's, and that's always a key thing with cricket, isn't it? You know, if you're conceding runs through poor fielding, that's really going to impact the game. And so I think, yeah. yeah, that was definitely the case. Although we did see a lot of good fielding with the Aussie girls. There were some great catches. So just going back to round out on Goswami, Goz- she, uh, yeah, she did concede the 13 off that final over and was somewhat of the villain. And then moving into the uh, third ODI, I mean, yeah, as you said, she's 38 years old. She's uh, been around playing test cricket at least since 2002. So she clearly has a few tricks and she wasn't going to uh, be denied a second time. It was with the bat that she closed out uh, the victory. That was India's highest ever one-day international chase. They chased 246 Uh Remarkable scenes, really, and that that did snap Australia's world record uh, at at uh, how many how many was it in the end that finished their yeah so they won twenty six uh, denying them a twenty seventh yeah look at the end like the truth of it is that these are like 
Australia and India being two of the best international women's sides. So you're going to get that really good, like, um, competition. And, yeah, in the end, I think all three ODIs went down to the last over, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, and, and yes, Goswami, but then also we had lots of um, stars in Shafali Verma as well. Um, and then not to mention on the Aussie side, Sophie Molyneux, I mean, did you see the injury that she copped? I did, absolutely. And I was going to say, heading into the test match, because we know it's a it's a tri-format series, so all of these points accrue. Uh, so the series is not over, even though we're going to a new format. And it really did take a toll on Australia, uh, not just uh, in terms of Sophie Molyneux, who had the, the nasty face injury yeah. uh, and bowled on doggedly with it. But you'd think she'd be, she'd be right to go on and they'll just be hopefully sort of superficial injuries. But uh, but more concerning are the, the hamstring injuries to Rachel Haynes and Beth Mooney, two uh, linchpins in Australia's top six, uh, particularly going into into long format cricket, vastly experienced and have been there and done it. So uh, huge concerns for Australia if those two uh, players can't get to the line. Oh, definitely. They're so important um, in terms of the batting lineup as well and really holding the team together. We, I mean, to be fair, like more than half of the team are really quite experienced. And then we've got those kind of younger players, um, a couple, Stella Campbell, um, Annabelle Sutherland, both 19. So, yeah, losing those two to hamstring injuries would be a big blow. I did also see um, a lot of conversation around Elise Perry and sort of her form off the back of a um, hamstring injury that she's been struggling with, um, I think, since the back end of last year. Um, so yeah, in terms of the long form, if they're going in with niggling injuries and things like that, that could potentially impact, um, the way that they go against India and India having also played a test over in England and drawn that they're definitely, you know, contenders. So we definitely need to be sort of, um, strong when we come in. Yeah, I definitely don't think you can be taking niggling injuries into uh, into five-day test matches. So let's go back to uh, Elise Perry a little bit. Eight wides she bowled. Her radar was was clearly off. She has been just a, a classly, classy, dependable performer for, for over a decade. Are you concerned in the slightest? I mean, you probably watched more of her than I have. Are you concerned at all or is she going to – is she just going to thrive under the, uh, the baggy green as she always has? Yeah, I mean, Elise Perry is an immaculate athlete, 30 years old and still like – one of the best. Her stats are amazing. Um, going into tests, um, I don't think any any of the other um, women in the Australian side have actually scored a test hundred, but she's got two. Um, so, I mean, I don't think I would rule her out. I mean, she's definitely shown that she can show up. Um, so I'm not worried, but it's definitely something to um, for her to kind of uh, make sure she doesn't overdo because you don't want a situation where she's completely ruled out. Obviously, she's a linchpin. She's important. And interested to get your thoughts on the bowling mix they will go uh, will go with Australia. They did debut Stella Campbell. Uh, she became player number 146 in the one-day format. A bowled alongside Annabelle Sutherland, who took a couple of uh, really important interventions uh, during India's innings. We know that Megan Shute's not there, so it, it is likely yeah. to be a more inexperienced bowling lineup than uh, than experienced. So, what do you think the uh, the balance will be uh, for Australia across the sort of bottom half of the uh, the order? I think, yeah, having a younger bowling attack may be a disadvantage. Having said that, I don't they're cap, they're really strongly captained, so I don't really see it as as a major issue. I just think of India's batting and they're being very um, experienced that that might kind of throw them off, especially on that long form when your bowler is getting tired, you know, and you don't have the experience of bowling like you know over fifty overs a day. 
you know, so that could potentially impact them. Um, but I think with that good support from the more experienced players, it might not be a huge issue. I mean, what do you think? Uh, I think it will depend, and this was going to be my last question uh, to you, I think it will depend on whether there's room for both uh, Ash Gardner and Nicola Carey. I think Carey was at the, in the cut and thrust of, of this series at pretty much all the crucial times with both bat and ball. Yeah. We know that Gardner, she's only 24, but she's a senior player amongst this side, so she'll definitely play. Uh, do you think there's room for both? I think so. I mean, it's also a question of what they can both bring. I mean, if I've, I've I don't want to say this, but maybe they both bring kind of similar skills to the table, but, you know, that's something that needs to be considered throughout the five days, you know, if they want to like change up in terms of bowling, you know, if they want to bring in a spinner, because I think at the moment they've only got the one and the rest are medium paces. Um, So, I mean, that might be a consideration. Um, and also we do kind of have a very strong batting lineup as it is. I mean, Rachel Haynes, Elisa Healy, Meg Lanning, Beth Mooney. I mean, so that could definitely be like a point, you know, in terms of is there room for both of them? But I guess we'll just have to see. I mean, Moddy's going to have to, I guess, weigh that up. Fantastic. Okay, I reckon that just about brings an end to the conversation. A uh, little bit of a uh, oh, brings us to the end of the show as well. A little bit of a shorter show today, but again, not not a great deal of cricket being played in the Sheffield Shield. Donna, delightful to have you on board. Thank you very much you. for joining the program. Not a worry. It was awesome. Bro- Brody, are you there, mate, or are you uh, feeding a new dog? Uh, he's all fed now, boys. Uh, uh, great to have you on the show, Donna. You're a wealth of knowledge. It's a it's it's more than welcome on the show. I don't, think I, I don't think I did that well, but no. thank you. No, you're fantastic. You did really well. Well done. Oh, Certainly you. better than these two mugs who have been crapping on on this program for the past couple of years. All happy families here on Shield Informed. Enjoy Queensland against Tasmania. Enjoy Australia against India in the test match. We will catch you on the other side of those two games to wrap it all up on Shield Informed. <laughs>